Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. You know, but that's what we exist for. I believe the calling on this church is to help people understand what Jesus actually accomplished. There actually is a new covenant. We are actually under grace, not under the law. And here's the big difference. Because I don't want, I just don't, I don't want you just to get it and you get some good information and you feel good about yourself. I actually want you to get this information. It, allow it to change your identity and share it. Because you have friends and you have family that are worried that that one more sin might send them to hell. We're not advocating sin. We're just putting law in proper perspective. Here's probably the most simplified difference. Under the old covenant, under the Mosaic covenant, all of those rules, all of those stipulations, you had to keep those in order to be righteous. And if you broke them, you died. In the, under the new covenant, God just went ahead and made you spiritually righteous and took care of it. There is no penalty for breaking the new covenant. You just don't receive the blessing of eternal life if you break it. And the only way to break it is that you don't believe. So this is where we are. We're going through, you know, because it's, it's one thing to just say those basic ideas and understand those basic concepts that under the old, you had to keep the law to be righteous, and now under the new, you are righteous, so God will show you how to live. That's like the most simplified, boiling it down. But to build a lot of understanding around that, I've got like 900 scriptures we're going to read today. Are y'all ready? Because, you know, you need this. You need this, not just the information, but you need the understanding. And I'm going to really encourage you. Take, we're going to put these scriptures out that will be up on the blog. I'll put these graphics in our Facebook group. If you're watching online, make sure that you request to be in our Facebook group. I'm going to post these passages up. But it's not necessarily that I want you to memorize them. I just want you to at least be familiar with them. Because as you are having conversations with people and you are trying to help them understand your sin will not separate you from God. You make a statement like that, your sin doesn't separate you from God. Well, that sounds like that permissiveness gospel or whatever it is. They keep, I keep hearing new names for the gospel. You know, the gospel that says that you are saved by grace through faith and not of works. Amen. And then, like, when you quote scripture about the new covenant, people think that you're saying, well, are you saying it's okay to sin? Well, it, people that say that, I'm like, I know where your heart is. When you start getting a taste of freedom and you start thinking that somebody might use this for sin, you're talking about yourself. Amen. Amen. Uh-oh. Or you feel an obligation to control people. Like that's probably one of the biggest things I run into, pastors. You start helping them understand there actually is a new covenant and that there actually is a Holy Spirit and people actually are eternally righteous right now. Not in your actions, not in your soul, not in your temporary existence, but the part of you that will live forever is righteous now. Amen. You get a pastor bucking that, you got a control freak on your hands. Watch out. You know it. I, mean, I could be nice and just play the game, or I could tell you the way it is, right? Amen. And a lot of you are here because you don't want to be controlled. And we want to bring more people into this place and help them break free from the control. Now, it's not that those pastors are bad. 
They just don't know the liberty of grace, the transformative power of the gospel, and the direction of the Holy Spirit that will lead you to live way more holy than any law ever could. Amen? Amen. So we're in this series called God and Sinners. God and Sinners Reconciled. And that's where we're going next week is we're going to talk about reconciliation. But God and Sinners Reconciled, there's a lot to unpack in that. Today, I want to talk about how the new covenant is a royal grant covenant. So last week, we went through some of the covenants, and I'm going to step back here and just read for a little while. The covenant is a binding agreement between two or more parties. Now, God just, he works through covenant. When you look at how God relates to people and what he asks people to tell other people, it's always in context of covenant, right? With Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, under the new. When he talks to people and when he enforces what he expects, it's always this legal language. It's in the context of covenant. But what we have to understand is that the new covenant is a royal grant covenant. And if you weren't here last week, you can go back and listen. But just so that you know, the three different, and I, and I, actually I skipped this one last week. There are three different kinds of covenants. A kinship covenant, it's like marriage. Uh, an agreement between two equal parties with a few stipulations or requirements or vows, like marriage or like when you enter into a contract to sell your house or whatever, where there's an actual document signed and people are in agreement, that's a form of a kinship covenant. And then there's a suzerain vassal covenant. Suzerain basically just means sovereign, and vassal was a term of a class of people. So you've got the sovereign king and the vassal people, like in the feudal system, that the sovereign would decree what he was willing to do for the people, and the people had to keep stipulations in order to not break that covenant. And if they broke that covenant, there were curses uh, or punishment doled out for breaking a suzerain vassal covenant. The Mosaic covenant, or the covenant that God had with the nation of Israel, was a suzerain vassal covenant. A king would make a promise. So there were promises. You see it even in Deuteronomy 28, the blessing and the cursing. Um, a king would make a promise. Can, if you can't see, let me, I'll give you, this is, the, this is your time to stand up and move around in church. If you need to move where you can see one of these screens. Everybody good? Anybody need to move? You good? Okay. A king would make a promise to his subjects, but it depended on obedience to specific terms. Now, the reason I'm going into this in detail is so that you understand what kind of covenant you are in right now with God. Because performance-centered religion likes to drag some issues from this old Mosaic Caesar and Basil covenant and lay them on you as if God's relating to you through this old deal, through this old contract, through this old covenant. And well-meaning people will do that to you. They will lay the law on you and say, if you are not, you are, if you're not keeping it, you are displeasing to God. You are out of fellowship with God. You have backslidden. You, you know, all those terms that you've heard, right? If you're not keeping the law, if you're not holding up your end of this bargain, God's disappointed or upset with you. Now, he, it's different under the new. So let me just keep going. Uh, you can think of this covenant as a conditional promise. So, and then the third covenant is a royal grant covenant. The new covenant is a royal grant covenant. Now, 
I'll show you why it's a royal grant covenant. But you can you get a clue on what kind of covenant that you're dealing with based on how it's initiated, how it's talked about, how, how the sovereign or one of the covenantal partners sets it up, says what they're willing to do, says what they're going to do to in the carrying out of that covenant. And if the covenant is broken, what happens to the people that break the covenant? All of those details that go into looking at what kind of covenant you're under, when you look at the new it is completely clear that the new is an absolute royal grant covenant. A royal grant covenant requires no action on the part of the beneficiary. Sounds like you're saved by grace through faith, not of works. It's an unconditional promise given from one party to another. Now, the new covenant is a royal grant covenant. In a royal grant covenant... See, in a suzerain vassal covenant, it'll look like this. Uh, no adultery. You commit adultery, you die. Under a royal grant covenant, it is, here's all of my blessing that I've promised to you. Now, because I am your sovereign, the way that I will bless you is, it's not a good idea to enter into adultery. Adultery will bring death and destruction within your world. Me and you are good, but I'm just telling you, don't go that way. If you go that way, it's contrary to how I see. You know, it's different. It's instruction. It's leading. It's parenting. It's child training almost. It's a warning. Within a, within a royal grant covenant, there's a warning of the curse that you will bring upon yourself. Are you with me? Under the suzerain vassal type covenant, there is a curse executed by the sovereign. Under a royal grant covenant... The curse and destruction is warned about that you will create for yourself. And so the sovereign in a royal grant covenant will lead you to blessing. The only way you can be qualified to receive the promises and the benefits of a royal grant covenant is to just trust the sovereign, Amen. trust the king, trust the one that has the power to decree those things. But you got to follow the instructions and the process to lead you to it. Doesn't mean that if you don't follow the instructions that you are disqualified for the covenant. It just means you don't get the blessing of that. You sit within the quality of your own life, whereas the sovereign could make it better for you. So this, you know, when, when people pray, there's kind of like two different forms of prayer. Sometimes and under the, con no, what I want you to do is understanding the kind of covenant that you're in, how God is working with you, let that filter into areas of your life like your job, prayer, your marriage, how you seek to understand scripture, how you judge other people. You know, it's like you might judge somebody else that's struggling with an issue and you're like, well, you know what? If you would just spend time with God, you'd fix that. And it's like, okay, well, how's that working for the area you're struggling? Really easy to tell them to do that. But what about this area you're struggling with? See, when you use the law to try to bring about righteousness, all it does is further point out where you're missing it. But within a new covenant, within a royal grant covenant, because blessing is already afforded, that sovereign will lead you into that blessing. Not say you got to keep the law to get there, but you're okay with me? Now, I've got this promise for you. Here's how you get there. So kind of two different forms of prayer is this. Sitting, God's out here. God, move mountains for me. God, change that person. God, make him quit being an idiot. God, do this. Make those green lights red, those red lights green, whatever. You know what I mean? 
Like, like, like you're just sitting there and you're, you need God to puppet string the world for you. Or there's this, God, shape me, mold me. I trust that I'm safe and secure in you because of what Jesus did, now shape me. And then be willing to move. So, you know, prayer could either be you just sit back and you think God's just going to make everything happen for you, and how's that working for you? Or you're sitting back and God's like, hey, look, I've got this great opportunity for you over here. I'm not trying to test or, or I'm not trying to make you jump through hoops to get there, but it's over here. And so what you need to do is follow me because I'm going to lead you to it. I got this wife over here. I got this husband. I got this job. I got this blessing. I got this idea that if you'll follow me into, it'll bring this into your life and you can be a ridiculous blessing for other people. It can be you've gone through a tragedy and rather than sitting there waiting for God to fix your life for you, he says, look, if you go here, trust me, it'll change your life. Are you willing to follow? So prayer is either sit back, God, play the movie for me. I'm just going to sit here and watch and you do your dance for me and I'm gonna, you fix everything for me. Or, no, I'm taking personal responsibility to allow myself to be led by you. And so for me, it's, okay, I'm going to set aside pornography because this is distracting me. Oh, wow, now that that's not forefront in my mind, I can move this through. Oh, wow, I didn't see that before. And wait a minute, and I, I'm still hanging on to what that, my dad said to me when I was younger, and I'm going to let that go. And now, I, oh, wow, now I can see this. You know, That's what prayer looks like. Amen. It changes your vision. God has already given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. All of his promises are yes and amen, amen. in Christ so that you would be a partaker of his divine nature. He already wants those things for you because he's a good father. Jesus laid it out. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. You know, if you, being evil, and he's talking to old covenant people, know how to give good things to your kids, how much more your father, who is pure goodness. He's not giving you snakes and stones. Are you with me? Now, I'm telling you, people out there don't know this. They believe it, but then they add on the curses from the Old Covenant as well. They believe this part of the gospel, but then they add on the warning of being disqualified if you break the covenant. That's not the kind of covenant that we're under anymore. So, what did the Old Covenant say about the New Covenant? All right, here we go. Ready? There's a lot of scripture here. Stretch it, get your pens ready, whatever it takes for you. Turn in your Bible, turn your Bible on, whatever, read along. If you can't see back there, come on up. One more chance, anybody need to move? You're good. All right, so this is what the Old Covenant said about the New Covenant. Now, there are clues in here about how God inspired people to talk about the New Covenant, and those clues tell us that this New Covenant is a different kind of covenant. It is indeed a grant covenant, a royal grant covenant. You know what kind of covenant it is by the way it's presented, okay? So the old is presenting what the new is going to be like. For a brief moment, now, now Isaiah 54 is right after Isaiah 53. Did you catch that? Should I say that one more time? Okay. Isaiah 53 is, if you have not, if you're not familiar with it, I encourage you, this is homework assignment number one, go read Isaiah 52, 53, and 54 and understand that he is prophesying about Jesus, and you get great understanding about what happened on that cross 
for you. Now, it's in the context of being toward the nation of Israel because at that time, those were the only people that God was in covenant with, but I'll show you how that also is for you. So the promise in this is also for you because of this Abraham thing, but we'll get there. For a brief moment, I deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Now, this is covenantal language because he's identifying himself. He's saying, I'm your Lord. I'm your Redeemer. And redemption looks like this. With everlasting love, I'll have compassion on you. That's what a Redeemer looks like. He's establishing his identity. He's laying out the terms of his promise, his grant within this covenant. Let's keep going. This is like the days of Noah, so he's referring back to another covenant. To me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. That is another tenet of this new covenant that the sovereign establishes. He didn't have to say that, but he did. Aren't you thankful? Now, that is for you. You know this phrase that we use, God's not mad at you? This is where it comes from. This is exactly where it comes from. It is a promise within the new covenant directly from God to you. God is not angry with you. Amen. I don't care how bad you mess up. He's not angry with you. Now, one reason is because all of his wrath and sin and anger and judgment toward, what did I say? Did I say sin? I heard that come out. That wasn't right. Let's rewind that. All of his anger toward sin, <laughs> God has no sin. Uh, his anger and wrath toward sin and judgment toward sin has been poured out thoroughly and completely on Jesus for you. That is your qualification for this royal grant covenant. That is the reason he can say, I will no longer be angry with you. If you mess up, and you start thinking, let's say you mess up and then destruction comes into your life, divorce, you lost a job, you're, you know, you're whatever, something happens. You, make, you keep making these really bad decisions over and over and you look, you look at your life and you think, well, here we go. God's just bringing this penalty. God's allowing this to come into my life. God is upset with me, disappointed with me, so all this is happening. It's, no, you don't know what kind of covenant you're under. You don't know the promises that God has made to you. Now, does that mean you should just tread on out and live that way? No, because what it does is it desensitizes your heart to be a participant within this promise that God has given you. When you are continuing in sin, it hardens your heart and desensitizes you from the leading of the sovereign within this new royal grant covenant into life and blessing. If you break the covenant by sin under this new covenant, you miss out on the blessing, but there is no cursing. And the performance-centered religious people start shaking at the knees. I know you're watching online. Keep watching. <laughs> Hang in there. We'll get you there. I have sworn. Now he's talking about the new covenant, where he's going as a result of the sacrifice of Jesus being cut, being made, 
He swears, I will no longer be angry with you and will not rebuke you. God will correct you, but you know how he does it? He says, hey, you know what? First off, I paid for that sin, so quit running from me. Come on, come back to me in your heart and in your mind. I paid for that thing. Let the shame go. Let the guilt go. Forgive yourself. Forgive those other people. Deal with that process. Come back to me. Understand who you are. And then he says, now go this way. It's not who you are. You are my child. You are my son. You are an expression of my righteousness in Christ. That is how he rebukes you under the new covenant. Now, what he's talking about here as far as rebuke is you're out. Death for you. You broke the covenant, you die. No hope of redemption or salvation. That's rebuke. We, we hear rebuke and we think, you know, like correction. No, a rebuke was you're done, you're cut off. No longer is God seeking to cut you off. In fact, if God were to cut you off from eternal life, from you breaking a law, he would be going against his own what he swore. I mean, I'm gonna, I want to say definitive things because we have to know how secure we are in this royal grant covenant. Amen. Now, it, will produ- it should produce transformation, absolutely. Under this covenant, way more than under the old. The old, there was no hope of transformation. There was just hope of not breaking the law and not dying. Now, okay, let me get ahead of myself. All right. For the mount- and then, and then, he, then he paints this picture of how secure his promise is. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace, say covenant of peace. peace. He's defining the terms. God is defining the terms. Now, in this instance, what he's talking about peace is our relationship is whole. It's covenantal language to say when you're not at peace, one or the other has broken a covenant and the relationship, the covenant is out of harmony. It's out of peace. It's out of unison. And what he's saying is my covenant of peace, me making you whole with me, offering reconciliation, reconciliation through Christ alone, that's not going to go away. We will be one and whole forever because my covenant of peace will not pass away. Are you with me? Says the Lord, who has compassion on you. See, when you recognize how a sovereign initiates and enacts and sustains a covenant, you start recognizing this language. It's, It's covenantal language. All right, let's keep going. Again, what we're talking about, what the old says about the new. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming declares the Lord. Again, he's identifying himself. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, again, we're going to get to where you understand that that is for you also. The house of Israel now is the house of Israel through in the, in the same way that Abraham remained a covenant partner. That is by faith. We're not talking about the house of Israel by bloodline. We're talking about those who have faith. That is how you now are the house of Israel. I'll show you that passage in a minute. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Say me. Me. And the house of Judah. Say I'm in the house of Judah. Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. 
you know, you look at, it's like, wow, he's pretty clear what he's doing here, right? It's not like the one, it's not like that one. Uh, on the day when I took them by the hand, I love that, that imagery. Under the old, it's like a child. God has to grab you by the hand. Under the new, he's got you by the heart. He lives in you. He's in unison with you. He's not dragging you along. He's in unison with you, leading you, guiding you, showing you his ways. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Next verse. Continuing in Jeremiah 31. For this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, say, that's me. After those days, declares the Lord, I, who? Will put my law within them. Now, law is instruction. It's like, it's like uh, the, the handbook on how to do life successfully, right? It's like how to use life is what law would be under this new. So I'll put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is a promise. This is a declaration from the king of what this new covenant is going to be like. And no longer shall each one of them teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. What? That's God. This a tenant, an establishment, a non-negotiable within this new covenant is God saying, I will remember your sin no more. I will no longer hold your sin against you. Now, you got people that have been under a covenant for hundreds of years, and it was all about sin management. It was all about keeping the rules and the laws and staying in line so they did not die. And here he's now saying, I'm not going to remember your sin anymore. I mean, you know, probably some of them were like, whoo, let's have a party. Where's the jack, you know? But I imagine some of them were like, go back to that other one. I could imagine some of them would be like, you know what, wow. This is, the, would grasp the, the relational aspect of that. You know, when you really truly grasp what God has done in this, you desire to preserve it. You desire to keep it healthy. You desire to within you reflect the holiness that he has cleansed you to be. All right, so next one here. Now, I highlighted the I wills. Look at all of them. This is through Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36. This is God talking about what the new covenant was going to be like. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you now, he's talking about the new covenant. What water do you think he's talking about? Yeah. I mean, you're all getting it. The washing of the water of the word, I will be in you a wellspring of, a, a spring welling up unto eternal life is what he's talking about, right? All the things that Jesus later on then came and says, what he's talking about. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. Not, here's how you're going to get clean. Not, here's how to stay clean. You shall be clean. 
from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. How'd you get clean under the old? Ash, dust, goat blood, dove blood, bull blood, the, the high priest of the, of the covenant doing what he did to present it to you and then you enter into it and hope you don't break it. Totally different under this one. Then he goes deeper. Then he goes into a non-physical realm, a non-law-based realm, a deeper part of the kind of beings that we are. There's language in this that they probably didn't really grasp what they were taught, what he was talking about. <clears throat> in fact, it says they didn't have a heart to understand. And one of the promises of the new covenant is that he'll give them a heart to understand. You have that heart. We're going there next week. So I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, I will, I will, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone. You're working really hard to be holy and righteous and acceptable to the Father. You are trying to remove your heart of stone. You ain't going to make it. He will remove it. Now, it's a dance. It's by grace through faith. Faith is you reaching out and holding on to it, a willing participation to let him do that within you and make different decisions and access grace Grace being the power to overcome that thing that's holding you down. Where you're striving and you're trying to put, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to pray and I'm going to read and I'm going to put blocks on my computer and I'm going to put this on my mirror so that I remember and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. How's it working for you? I mean, I'm, that's a serious question. How is that working for you? Are you still struggling or are you standing free saying, bless God, that does not even, I don't even desire the anger anymore. Like my natural reaction is no longer sarcasm. I'm working on that one. <laughs> and my wife said, good luck. <laughs> she needs to work on it too. <laughs> Next verse. Continuing on. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. What? Now, this doesn't mean that God's going to control you like a puppet. You have to, again, the promises under a royal grant covenant have to be believed to receive. There's all kind of blessing that is available under a royal grant covenant, but if you don't believe and trust and participate with the sovereign, the king, the one who's declaring it, you're going to miss out on it. No curse, but you might miss out on the blessing. God is not going to control you, you know, because we pray that. God just, God, change my heart. You ever prayed that? How'd it work? You kept, you probably struggled even more after that. And then you get disappointed, and then you just, most people just settle into the level of sin management. management. It's like a balance. It's like, all right, I'm feeling pretty good. I know God loves me, but I got this sin. Where's the, where's, the, where's the sufficient level of guilt that I think I can live within here? It's kind of what we decide. Like, rather than expecting transformation and total deliverance from that thing that you're struggling with, we actually try to find the equilibrium of guilt that we can live within. What if you lived completely guilt-free, never again giving in to the temptation of whatever that thing is? 
that keeps you from experiencing the promise of this new covenant. It's possible. It's by grace. Grace is an influence. In Grace is not you get what you don't deserve. That is an element of grace. There is a power from God inside your heart that rises up and strengthens you. Amen? So grace is a power within you. Amen? All right. Now, that's how you get these things working inside of you, all right? All right, you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Uh, so then we look at the recognition and announcement of the new covenant. In the new, so when you look at, when you're trying to determine what kind of covenant it is, you look at how it's announced, how it's going to be enacted, how they start talking about it, and then once it's enacted, how it's talked about afterward to keep people focused on it and, and part of it. So like the canon, that's, what the, that's what's called a canon. All, everything around a covenant, talking about how it comes, the actual time that it's decreed and cut, and everything after that that documents the unfolding of that covenant between the covenant people, that's the canon of that covenant. And the New Testament is the canon of the new covenant. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were kind of the in-between the two covenants. That's why, that's why sometimes the words of Jesus can be confusing because sometimes he's teaching as a prophet under the old and sometimes he's declaring what it's going to be like under the new. You do realize the new covenant was not actually enacted until he died and rose from the grave and offered his blood in heaven. Amen. So you see some language like pluck your eyes out and cut off your hands. You know, I want to go to some of these churches and say, we just take the word of the God, word of the, the word literally. You can't tweak what Jesus says. If he said it, you got to do it. It's like, all right, raise your hand. Oh, you still got one. All right, anyway, let's keep going. So this is the, the royal grant covenant being announced. This is John 1, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Just think about that for a minute. What would that have been like? You're standing there waiting to be baptized. You're on the shore. You're serious about wanting to follow God. You want to renew your life. You're like, ah, oh, John the Baptist is right. You know, we need to get ourselves cleaned up. We need to repent. We need to get down here in this water, get our life back focused on God. And then here comes the Lamb of God. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. The Lamb of God, the sacrifice that will take my sin. You know, imagine if you knew... Isaiah, if you knew those scrolls, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and you, you were standing there that day and John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God, and you knew that, I mean, what would that have been like? Pretty powerful. Luke 2, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, this is Jesus, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. So he starts to talk about how it's going to be enacted. We know that it's enacted through Christ, the death, burial, and the resurrection on that cross when he spilled his blood for the remission of our sin. He passed into that grave as a human to destroy death and all of those dark forces that kept us separated from God. He rose with his own blood into that heavenly holy of holies and cleansed even that place. And it is still there as a testimony for your 
righteousness. If you ever start questioning your salvation, you tell your brain, nope, the blood of Jesus is before the Father right now. That is the testimony of my righteousness, my right standing, my access into the presence of the Father eternally is on that ark in front of the Father right now in this moment. I'm telling you, you got to get serious about this kind of stuff because people don't know. People are being brutalized by well-meaning people that are dragging the law into the new covenant and, and breaking people's understanding and experience of what God has for us. Not just so that you can selfishly enjoy benefits, but so that you can help the world be set free from being afraid of God. Go back to that last one. So now where we're going is we're going to look at the documentation after it's enacted and how it's upheld, how this new covenant is upheld. So we see that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Stay there for a minute. That is the big promise under the new covenant. You know, for Noah... I'll no longer flood the earth, and I'll protect you. For Abraham, I'll give you a son. I'll bless you and your family. I'll bless all the nations of the world through you. I will protect you from other people that would come in and try and take your stuff. I'll keep you safe. Those are the tenets. For this, eternal life. Abundant eternal life. Now, let me ask you this. When does eternity start? I came that you might have life and that more abundantly. I didn't come, Jesus saying this, to just give you a baseline of life just above suffering. No, life, that more abundantly. All right, next verse, please. And this covenant is for all who will believe. So Galatians 2, we ourselves... now. I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but and I could show you, and, and I've got a message on it. I forget which actually series that it's in, but when the original letters written by Paul, he was addressing Jewish people and Gentile people. And a lot of the language about who is chosen, who the elect are, is related to the Jews were the chosen people. They were God's covenant people. They were the elect that God would move through and make them priests to the world. They broke that covenant, so now God is opening up to all who will believe. Are you with me? So sometimes it gets translated under certain doctrines and theologies, theological perspectives that the elect is not Jew-Gentile related, that it's people in general, you're going to hell, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell, I created you for hell, you're going to wherever. You know, like that's how some people interpret elect and chosen and all of that. But he's talking about the Jews. Then that had to be completely changed where it's now open for Gentiles as well. And if you go through with an honest reading, looking at, you know, Ephesians 1, Romans 9, even up to Romans uh, 12, you see that that language he's talking about, he very specifically says the chosen people, the, the chosen, the Jews. All right, side note. Back on course. Say back on course. All right, here we go. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not... Gen that's, it's just why you see so much language because the Jews would have been saying, well, this new covenant is for us 
And God's saying, well, no, it's for everybody. And Paul had to set that straight because a lot of the Jews were trying to make the Christians, the new believers in Christ, be uh, circumcised to be qualified, keep a portion of the law, keep the feasts, keep the, the food laws to be part of it. And Paul's like, y'all don't get it. No, that's gone. It's completely different now. All right. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. So again, covenantal language of how you stay qualified within it. This is the canon around the new covenant, the documentation unfolding the new covenant that was, that was enacted in Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified or accepted, qualified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, people will quote that and say, that's right, you can't be good enough. But then they'll say, but you might be bad enough to be disqualified. No, it doesn't work that way. You can't have one or the other. It's both exactly the same. It is not at all dependent on works. Now, does that make you want to go sin? Thank you. All right, next verse. Continuing, now then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. You see that? So all of that prophetic language to the nation of Israel about what the new covenant would be like, this is you. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached that the gospel before, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Next verse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So in one phrase, he says, you're not justified by the works of the law. Then he says, Christ redeemed you from the curse of the law. So he actually does cover both. The curse of the law is if you break the covenant, you are out of fellowship. You are not part of the covenant. He's correcting that here. He's saying what this new covenant is like. Are you with me? Do we need to take a stretch break? I know this is a lot of... It's all pointing to the same thing, and that is you are under a royal grant covenant. It is Jesus that enacted it, uh, initiated it, enacted it, and sustains it for you. Amen? All right. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's keep going. Ephesians 2, starting in 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off once had been, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Again, I just want to point out, Covenantal language, he's setting the terms of how you are part of this covenant, how you are one with God. It is through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our wholeness with God. I'm doing this. You guys understand this? It's like a block. It's whole. Like this would be broken. This is whole. Just so you know. I don't I keep finding myself doing this here. It's like, anyway. All right. He himself is our peace. Jesus himself is your side of the covenant with the Father that keeps you in harmony with the Father. Jesus is your covenantal partner that keeps you whole to stay qualified 
for the covenant. Amen? Amen? He is your peace, and it is an everlasting covenant of wholeness or peace. Praise God. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law. Abolishing the law. Well, you see, you got to balance. When you preach that grace stuff, you got to balance it. Bring a little bit of that law. Well, the law is abolished. I actually preach something that requires more personal responsibility, and that is that inside you actually expect transformation. So you're not trying to keep rules. You're living as a, you're naturally living out this righteousness that you've been given. Abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both, Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Romans 8, for God has done away with the law, weakened by the flesh, weakened by the flesh. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in Jesus' flesh, for all humanity in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, that language, who walk according to the Spirit, further down in Romans 8, he defines how you walk in the Spirit, and that is you be spiritually minded. Again, that is how you experience the blessing decreed under a royal grant covenant is you think like it and you agree with it in your mind and in your heart so that you're not contrary to the instruction within the royal grant covenant and miss out on the blessing. Are you, are you with me? The way that you live spiritually is you think spiritually because it will change everything else about you. You do what you think. Um, no one who denies the Son... Again, we're just talking about reinforcing how this new covenant is to be participated within. No one who denies the Son has the Father. You know, there are some people that say, well, God, Jesus died for everybody, therefore now everybody saves. Just not everybody knows it yet. <laughs> Wrong. You either have the Spirit or you do not. You get it by grace through faith. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And if you think about that in legal terms, you have the Father. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. So how do you let it abide in you? It's in your mind. It's in your heart. And this understands that it should spill out into your actions. So, And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. Titus 3, read just reinforcing how you stay in this covenant, how you live within it, what it's like. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Now, you, you should memorize this. I don't think a lot of us are familiar with this particular passage. But th So your first homework assignment, read Isaiah 52, 53, 54, and then memorize this. Titus 3, 4 through 8. Will you do that as my Christmas present? <laughs> but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Father Savior appeared of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. 
not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. That's why God enacted the new covenant in the way that it is, because of his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, that is, that is your sanctification. That is your redemption. That is your reconciliation, him washing you. Not anything that you do, but responding to it in your mind and in your heart, which will affect your actions. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So you see that there is, all right? Because of His love and mercy, He saved you. That should filter down into good works toward other people. Absolutely. And that's where we're going next week. So this is the last one. Hebrews 9.11, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, and that's what gospel means, good news, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered. Now, use your imagination for just a minute for this part here. He entered once for all into the holy places. What does that holy place look like that he entered into? Talking about after he rose from the grave, Hebrews tells us that he actually took his own blood, entered into this holy place. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by, the, by means of his own blood, thus securing a temporary redemption. A redemption based on your works. A redemption where... If you disappoint God, there's a line that you're going to cross, and he's eternal. Amen. Thus securing an eternal. redemption. Your eternal redemption is secure. It is as your salvation with the Father is as secure as Jesus' salvation with the Father, as Jesus dying the death of a sinner, passing into the grave and raising again. As sure as Jesus will be in heaven forever, so you will be too, and all who will believe. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm telling you, when we go out and we tell people God loves you, God's not mad at you, you're not under the law, you're under grace, there is a lot that goes behind that. We just don't take time to unpack it a lot. But there, when you read the New Testament, you see that covenantal language, it's everywhere. It, it's what it's about. It's the documentation of this eternal redemption that is in Christ. Now, there is absolutely instruction within it, no doubt. There is very strict instruction within the New Testament. There is an expectation of transformation unto good works, no doubt. But because it's a royal grant covenant, it is instruction unto blessing alone with no curse. Amen. That's powerful. That should cause us to want to just sit within our identity, understand, never again question God's heart toward us, and take this good news to people, all who will listen. Now, you may not go through a discourse like that. You may not even remember which books we just read out of, which letters we just read out of. 
That doesn't make you any less of a Christian. That doesn't make you any less qualified to communicate this stuff. But what I want it to do for you is to settle some things for you so that you are confident when you go to people and tell them God's not holding your sin against you. Amen. Now, my pastor told me a whole bunch of stuff of why that's true. I don't know that I really remember that. But, you, but do it boldly Amen. and confidently. Don't back down from that. Amen. I'm telling you, that's what this church exists for. And you watch. More and more people are paying attention. There's a lot of people paying attention around. You know, so we're like on the heretic side for a lot of those people. And you know what? Praise God. Brothers and sisters in Christ will sit around the campfire in heaven and say, Hey, you remember when you called us a heretic? <laughs> <laughs> but there's a bunch of people out there that don't know Jesus or they are struggling with how God feels about them. Are you with me? That's where we're going. Next week, we're going to talk about that you carry the ministry of reconciliation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you declared very clearly the promise of eternal life is gained one way and one way only, and that is by grace, through faith, in the blood of Jesus, in the finished work of Jesus. I am secure in that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, I am committed to allowing my heart to be influenced by you, Lord, to take this to other people. I don't have to become some gearhead evangelist where I start banging on every door that I can see. I don't have to carry a sense of obligation where I feel bad if I'm not doing it. But God, in this moment right now, I, I want to be an evangelist. I want to be somebody that given the right opportunity, I, have, I take advantage of the opportunity. I trust that I am going to follow you. I trust that as I open my mouth, it will come out as exactly like you want it to come out for that person that you've placed me in front of, that you've led me to. Just, just the opportunities around, Father. Help me open my eyes to see where I can start being a kingdom seed sower, where I can start just kind of peppering the good news out there a little bit. Where, where if I'm at work, I can lay just little ideas out there and engage in conversations and talk with people. And Father, give me good questions to ask other people to provoke their heart to seek you. I just want to be a carrier of your word. I want to, I want to spread the news of your victory. And I want to help people understand the security that is in Christ. I'm committed to that, Father. Now, just, just one more second. Just kind of relax. And let that actually be true for you. I want to be led by you to tell people the good news. Do you take that? Is that for you? Are you willing to do that? You watch what will happen if we collectively do that. It'll be pretty awesome. People growing in what we feel like God has told us to do. Help people be, establish their hearts in grace. Help people have their hearts firmly rooted in grace. So that through love they become whole. Amen. Amen.